With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Lucky Land Casino, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at Chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's Chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Please note that this episode was recorded before the Mets signed Todd Frazier. We will discuss his signing next time. Folks, welcome back to Amazing Avenue Audio. My name is Brian. With me, as always, is Chris, and we are recording this during the third quarter of Super Bowl Fifty Two. It is currently twenty two nineteen Philadelphia, and uh, we are celebrating the end of the NFL season because that means we're that much closer to the start of the Major League Baseball season. So, uh, Chris, do you have any rooting interest in this game? Uh, the meteor was the first choice. <laughs> yep. There may or may not be some theoretical boxes that I may or may not have taken part in. Uh, that might be a rooting interest. But when it comes to uh, winning or losing uh, the Super Bowl, I uh, I have a preference that the Patriots win. Uh, if Tom Brady could be embarrassed, which I think at this point it happened a little bit already, given the uh, the failed trick pass to Brady and then the successful trick pass to Foles. Right. Uh, you know, humiliate him a little bit. Um, you know, on a larger scale, I just want this era 
of the Patriots to be over. I'm not bitter about it. I'm a Giants fan. They, you know, they beat them twice in the Super Bowl. Everybody is well aware of that. Um, they're not a division rival. It's just like uh, enough already. Uh, you know, <laughs> let let everybody just kind of ride off into the sunset, and everybody in a 50 mile radius of Boston will think that this was the greatest team ever. And sure, maybe they have a case. Um, but the rest of us can just forget about it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> like, that's all. I'm just, yeah, okay, cool. That's the thing that happened. Uh, you know, I got my enjoyment out of it because of what happened with the Giants. Uh, everybody else, the, the, the Brady Belichick thing, you know, just let it end. And, and I think the world will be a better place for it. Uh, <laughs> all of that said, Philadelphia is the nemesis in every sport that I care about. So <laughs> I want the Patriots <laughs> to win one more. <laughs> See, I, I have this kind of, uh, I, I know it's a flawed theory. I know that. But back in like the late 90s, early 2000s, I used to always say that I wanted the Red Sox to win one World Series so that Boston fans could shut up about it. And I feel like that's my hope with Eagles fans, that maybe if the Eagles win a Super Bowl, Eagles fans will be slightly less insufferable. But I know that's not the truth. You know, I'm I, I'm hoping for a conversion experience that just isn't going to happen here. But, you know, I just, I can't in good conscience root for, for Tom Brady anymore. I can't do it. Even though, you know, somebody told me today, it's like, well, this is like, you know, you're watching the Michael Jordan of football. And I think that's overstating it a little bit. But even so... You know, Michael Jordan didn't seem to be the just unrepentant douchebag that Tom Brady is. So. <laughs> At least not until like later in life, anyway. Well, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> until he like until he grew his Hitler mustache for those Hanes commercials, and uh, you know, yeah, right, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But yeah, no, it, but it's yeah. It, it, Brady. I don't think. It, yeah, without entertaining it too seriously you know it's it's probably an oversimplification to put him on that level uh at the same time as a rangers fan uh, you know i don't i don't know if he's necessarily as much of a product of what's been around him as uh let's say marty brodor right um if there's any devils fans listening which there probably are they they might they might stop listening now but (laughs) (laughs) but you know, there's there's always the context, I think, in any sport. Um, and I think what makes baseball the best is that it's easier to do this, uh, isolating that individual from the team. Right. Um, it's, you know, it's very easy to say already, hey, Mike Trout is one of the best players to have ever played and has a chance to go down as the best. Um, you know, it's it, it's easy to say that, and you don't have to you know, uh, being in this town and having to suffer the successes of the other team in it. We've heard plenty about, you know, a certain Marlins owner and his, uh, and his rings and all that, but gift baskets. Yeah. Yep. (laughs) All that, (laughs) but it's easier to isolate. Like, I don't think, you know, outside of people who are are fans of Jeter's and and the Yankees, I think it's a little easier to isolate it and and say, you know, hey, this guy was exactly this good or that good or whatever. And right. you know, I mean, you get some of it with Eli Manning too. That you know, he was excellent in two Super Bowls, and I think 
uh, has had a, a solid above, well above average career. Um, you know, a lot of people might think that I'm overstating things there, but, but yeah, the, the, the point of this rambling rant is that baseball is better than this. Yes. <laughs> what I, you know, with baseball, there is that, um, you know, you will hear people talk about clubhouse leadership and stuff like that, stuff that that's a little bit harder to quantify, but that is usually what people pull out as a, as a tiebreaker. You know, if you're saying who's better, Derek Jeter or, you know, insert player here, once the statistics have been, have been thoroughly discussed and the achievements have been discussed, then you hear things like clubhouse leader, good, you know, good chemistry guy, whatever. Whereas I feel like in, especially in football, all the time there are these like amorphous terms that could mean six different things depending who's saying them to describe every great player because there's just this, like you said, there's a lack of tangible things you can say that are definitive proof that someone is better than somebody else. Yeah. But that th- this this is why I certainly don't host an NFL podcast. I got nothing to say about this. So <laughs> I'm just trying to figure out why there's a commercial featuring Steven Tyler of Aerosmith driving a car, driving a Kia right now. Backwards. But, you know, backwards, yeah. So, whatever. Let's uh, let's talk about the Mets, though. So, uh, right after we recorded last time, Chris, you had said, like, there was a time I would worry that the Mets were going to sign a player as soon as we stopped recording, but I'm over that worry now. And then pretty much as soon as we stopped recording, they signed Jose Reyes to a uh, a one-year contract. Uh, worth about two and a half million dollars. Um, they they made it very clear in the in the press release that that Reyes is going to be a utility player for the team this year. Um, I know that the Reyes question is more complicated than most other players for the Mets because of the uh, domestic abuse allegations, not even allegations, the domestic abuse uh, arrest that happened. Reyes, uh, you know, but as let, let's take the Mets at their word for a second here. As a straight up utility player, from a baseball decision perspective, how much do you like or dislike this move? Ah, uh, let's see. <clears throat> I I guess I don't completely hate it strictly from a baseball standpoint, but that's. Again, I just don't completely hate it. Um, <laughs> uh, I don't know. I, I I'm always a proponent of taking a look at the bigger picture. Um, you know, obviously he had the second half that he had. Um, whether or not he would have had that kind of playing time to sort of right the ship and make his overall season look. Um, you know, decent, I guess would be a good word for it. Yeah. On a better team with better health, he would have never had the opportunity to play beyond his abysmal first half. So, you know, I mean, he, he finishes the year, um, you know, a bit below league average, uh, adjusting for, you know, ballpark and league and all that. Uh, as a hitter, um, you know, positive in Fangraph's version of, of war. Um, 
feel like based. On, I want to just double check. I think the baseball reference war was um, less generous. I, I think you're right. Yeah, I think it was. Uh, yeah, it was, uh, the, <laughs> this is one where there's a discrepancy that's large enough that people who like to to hate on it, and it's again, you know, it's not a perfect thing, um, but it's just something that's nice that we have. Uh, but it's a discrepancy that's pretty large. Two wins in Fangraph's version of it and negative uh, 0.6 in the <laughs> baseball reference version. So, you know, that, that's sort of a wildly different perception of a player. Two wins is uh, that a pretty good guy. Uh, anything below zero obviously isn't. So I think the reality is probably somewhere in between for Reyes. And yeah. I just... I'll believe that he's only a part-time player when we get to the end of the season. He has 200 plate appearances. Right. And, you know, has pinch run uh, 50 times, uh, you know, in late in a game, extra innings, uh, whatever. Um, if that all happens, then sure. As a baseball player, he, he's it's fine. He's still, I think... Well, Ahmed Rosario, I guess, is probably faster than him at this stage. Probably, yeah. Um, so, second fastest player on the team. You know, and there are obviously a base running itself. Speed is uh, is a part of the game. It's certainly not the most important thing, uh, but it's something. So, you know, he's better than Matt Reynolds. Uh, this is all again it's a low bar we're talking about here yeah so i have i have very very similar feelings uh about this as you have i will believe the part-time player thing when i see them sign a second or third baseman and uh i just i just get the feeling that i mean the other saving grace here is that terry collins is not the manager of the mets anymore because i feel like terry collins is the type of manager who is going to benefit the veteran 100 times out of 100 and you know I could see Rosario having a a small slump and Collins giving Reyes two weeks of playing time for it so I'm, I'm grateful that that's not the case my biggest point of contention with this is all we've heard all off season is how the Mets have no money and we've heard about how there are all these holes that the Mets wish they could fill, but they don't have the money to fill those holes. And not that $2.5 million is a, is a whole lot of money, but in the offseason of 2017-18, $2.5 million could have gotten them a player that fits their needs far more than Jose Reyes does. And that if they don't wind up signing a second or third baseman, if they don't wind up bringing another bullpen arm, if they don't wind up signing an innings eater or getting a couple of guys on minor league deals, if they don't do that because they allotted $2.5 million to Jose Reyes, that's an egregious error that really is going to bother me. If they do those things and they happen to spend $2.5 million, which for a major market team should be chump change, I have less of a baseball problem with it. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, you know, if... If it shakes out that two and a half million could have gotten you a, uh, you know, good relief pitcher, I'd rather have that extra good relief pitcher 
and live with Matt Reynolds instead of Jose Reyes as, you know, that role. I mean, you're talking Matt Reynolds. We could reasonably be talking Wilmer Flores in this role. If they if they sign a second or third baseman, then Reyes is competing for playing time with Wilmer Flores, who, aside from speed and, I guess, shortstop defense, is a clearly better backup infielder. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah, and, and you know, I, I'm just – I guess I'm using Reynolds as, uh, you know, sort of the, the last option for that 25th man on the roster. Um, okay, fair enough. Yeah. You know, Chikini could be that guy. Flores could be that guy. Um. Yeah. It's it's uh. God damn it, Brady. <laughs> Sorry. That's okay. <laughs> uh. But yeah, it's just you know it's I guess I I I don't know if two and a half million is going to be that decision maker or not, but we'll see. Right, and it's I mean to your point, um, major market team. Certainly, but even in, in the state of the game as it is now, any team signing anybody for two and a half million for one year should not be a hindrance to the rest of its plans. Right. Um, so, yeah, it's just, uh, I don't know. It's such a strange offseason. Um, you know, I, I completely understand why the players are frustrated. Uh, you know, I know there's some criticisms of things that the union agreed to in the current CBA, but it's also just, it's not just that, you know, like, I don't think every team is, uh, you know, has suddenly awakened to the, the notion that a player may not be worth as much money as, as he would have been paid, uh, in free agency a few years ago. Right. Um, you know, part of that, it, it, the excuse to me that, oh, everybody's just intelligent now sort of comes off as ridiculous because I don't think they were all idiots no. a few years ago. You just had more of a willingness to say, all right, the last, you know, several years of this contract, two, three, four, whatever, um, they might not be good but we know that uh and to get this guy to play for our team we're we're going to be willing to take that on because you know it's it's going to make us that much better in the next few years and you know the brewers kind of dipped into it a little bit with making a couple of significant moves um you know but john Heyman still uh rightfully pointed to you know he he wrote up something with like the all free agent team being a contending team this year and uh he's not wrong no if you look at that team it's pretty it's pretty insane yeah so it's you know it's frustrating obviously you know within reason we're not asking the Mets to spend 300 million dollars um but to think that any team still at the moment right now could go you know, bring in two or three significant players and drastically enhance their roster. Uh, that, that's crazy. For We're in February here. Yeah. Um, and I wonder, you know, I, I'm, I am not enough of a, uh, I don't have my finger on the pulse of the front offices of baseball to make, you know, any sort of substantial claim. But I wonder how much of this offseason is just purely a, a one-off bizarre situation that we're trying to turn into a bigger conversation. 
or if this is a problem that needs to be addressed on a grander scale. Yeah. Yeah, that that could be. Uh, I just don't know. I, I guess what's the interesting thing to talk about at this point is that, you know, it seems like people are signing contracts that are worth pennies on the dollar compared to what the contract would have been worth a year or two ago in free agency. So it appears that the Mets and any other team could probably sign two or three players for what the cost of one player a couple of seasons ago would have cost them. So, Chris, what do you think are the are the moves that the Mets... You know, we heard this week that the Mets are, would consider signing an innings eater if the uh, you know if if the price is right, the names thrown out there were Alex Cobb, who I think is more than an innings eater, uh, Jason Vargas, and Lance Lynn as three potential uh, names for them. There's also still talk of them signing a third baseman or a second baseman, with uh, uh, Nunez and Frazier being the two sort of uh, it appears favorites at this point, with Josh Harrison and Neil Walker still being potentially in the conversation. Uh, and you know, there's there's been talk of another bullpen arm or two. If you had to prioritize here, where would you prioritize? But sort of sub question: Do you think they could do all three with the budget they still have left? Uh, I mean, if everybody really falls, then sure, <laughs> <laughs> they could do all three. I don't know, you know, even with the reality that we have now i don't know if it's realistic to uh to get all of that but man it would be nice i mean i think it's really foolish to pretend that zach wheeler and steven matz are going to give you anywhere close to two you know full seasons worth of starting pitching they may not even give you one full season worth of starting pitching right combined and you know harvey uh for as much as he struggled, he he got out there, um, and I, I would like to take the optimistic angle on him that you know I don't think he's going to return to being the Matt Harvey that burst onto the scene and was you know pitching at that Cy Young level, but he could be better, uh, and he you know he he could throw I think 180 innings and. You're not really going to say like, "Oh wow, that's that's a ridiculous assumption to make," right? Um, you know, I, I uh, it, it's a little bit of a leap <laughs> through under a hundred the, the last two seasons, but uh, yeah, I, I it's it to me that makes more of a difference. Um, even going back to last season, you know, so much went wrong with the rotation, but the difference between had Noah Syndergaard pitched a fully healthy season uh, and, you know, whoever the worst starter was in his absence over the course of the, you know, those months, it, that's a major, major difference. So to, to take it and, and, like, get a guy who can be there in the middle of the rotation – you know, can be maybe a decent number to uh, if DeGrom or Syndergaard were to encounter any sort of injury uh, in a fully healthy rotation, be maybe like the best four or five in baseball. You know, that 
that that's a big big difference uh and especially in a year where you know the offense was pretty pretty much okay last season before all the trades obviously right um you know it's a little more uncertain so when you're going to potentially have that drop off on the offensive side addressing the biggest problem that they had last year would be kind of a good thing to do i think what it also does is it allows the Mets to get more creative with their starting pitching they still have. You know, if if we get to a point where they do sign an Alex Cobb or a Lance Lynn and we are in May and Zach Wheeler is struggling a little bit, well, then you can throw him in the bullpen and you can see what happens there. And you're not so worried about what's going to happen because you have somebody to take his spot in the rotation that isn't, you know, um, Chris Flexen. And so maybe that winds up helping your bullpen because you've helped your starting rotation. I, I'm with you. I think signing a, signing a, uh, a starting pitcher is, if not their top priority, should be you know just below signing another infielder. And I would argue that perhaps the starting pitching is even a more important place to upgrade than, than the infield. Yeah. Um, do you have any favorites in the innings eater and infielder uh, competition? Um, well, <laughs> I would say uh, one favorite who you know may not be the uh, the guy who makes the team the best would be R.A. Dickey for uh, <laughs> on the pitching side, and and I I think there's a, a reasonable scenario in which he could help a team. So. There's that, but in terms of and and cheaply too. I mean that that's got to be for a song, right? You would think, yeah. So yeah, no. It's I mean, if if I were going about it, uh, I like Neil Walker more than I think ninety percent of Mets fans do. Uh, Sounds about right. <laughs> so yeah, if I'm if I'm trying to piece together a team on the on the cheap here, uh, Dicky Walker and I don't have a go to answer on the bullpen side of things, but. Uh, I don't know. Sung Sung Hwan Oh uh, was a guy who who had some you know some success not that long ago. Relievers are kind of volatile from year to year. Uh, whether it's him or Kevin Segrist, I think is still out there. Um, you know, you you give me Walker Dickey and one of those level of relief pitcher, I'm happy. If it's only going to be one guy and it is a starting pitcher, um, Cobb excites me the most. Uh, and and I've always been a little bit down on Lance Lynn, and the more I look at him, I'm like, huh, maybe I shouldn't be. Um, but Cobb and Lynn would be the guys if you know if they were to say, oh, we're going to pay a pitcher, say like a Jay Bruce kind of annual salary, you know, right. thirteen million a year or whatever. Um, and it, it's insane that those guys would possibly be available at that rate, but uh, you know that would maybe get me a little more. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to think who, who my preferences are. I mean, on one hand, I, I like the story of a, uh, a Todd Frazier, you know, Jersey boy, um, hometown kid. You know, you, you like that kind of story. And you know, in terms of, of impact bats, he might be the one that could that could be the most impactful, but he's not a perfect player and he's not a perfect offensive player. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know how many years you have to give him. 
I had heard on I was I was up late the other night doing some paperwork and uh, I had MLB Network on, and they were saying that 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 uh, I think it was was it oh who cares who it was somebody at MLB Network was saying that they think that you know Frazier might possibly take a one year deal to rebuild his value before next off season. I don't think that's realistic at all, but I mean they they said that you know they. They were putting him, estimating maybe a three-year contract. If you can get Todd Frazier for three years at an affordable value, I don't see why you don't do that. Yeah, yeah, and you know it's uh, you know a guy who never excited me all that much. Uh, you know when he was just sort of this concept of a a player who could be acquired, but you know I'm willing. Again, it's sort of it's similar to Lance Lynn. Uh, you know, maybe not somebody who I was in love with from afar, but somebody who could be good uh, and, you know, contribute to a team that can, uh, you know, do some good things. Yeah. And I'm with you in terms of Cobb. I think Cobb is the best of those options, but I think Cobb is also the option who's going to get paid the most and therefore will not be who, is, who the Mets are going to wind up having. Um do you see any big move like this happening? No. Before? <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, I didn't even get to the second part of that question, but before what? <laughs> before spring training starts, but you don't even think that this is going to happen at all. Uh, yeah, I don't. Um, I'd love to be wrong. You know? I, I'm usually the pessimist on the show. I can't believe this. This is... Uh... <laughs> It's just I don't familiar territory. I don't know what I don't know. You know, the you can't just have this excuse that uh well nobody else has done anything forever, you know? Mhm. Um So yeah. I I think that there's if this was any other ownership group, even a cheap ownership group, they would be afraid of looking embarrassed for not spending anything when there are so many cheap options out there. Right. But I think it's been well established that the Wilpons have no shame. So you can't you can't bank on that uh on that scenario at all. Right. Why why change the conversation by signing a player when you can bring up the insurance premiums on David mm-hmm. Wright? Instead. Exactly. Oh, boy. <laughs> uh, that said, I, I, I do think the Mets are going to sign a player. I think they're going to somehow sign the worst possible player. I don't know who that is just yet, but I have a feeling that they're going to go after, like, they're going to somehow throw too much money at Jason Vargas. A, a guy they let go a decade ago. Right, and he should be, like, all right, Dickie priced or or you know similar. He was an all star last year, man. <sighs> that is one way of putting it. <laughs> uh, yeah, and, and to be I clear, mean, he would have been like the number two on the Mets. So, I, I, oh I, yes, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> he had he had a nice little bounce back season last year. He did. Doesn't mean I want him on my team. Yeah. And I and I I rode hard for uh, for Vargas when he was a Met too. I liked Vargas a lot. I had high hopes for him. Um, 
doing some research this this week, I forgot he was part of the JJ Puts trade. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. One of one of the many. Yes, one of the seemingly forty-seven Mets that were involved in that trade somehow. Um, but yeah. Uh, should we get to our email? Oh yeah, let's do it. All right, this was sent to us by. Uh, I don't have the gentleman's name here. Do you? Oh, uh, I should. I mean, he's a he's a fan of King Giz, so. Uh, so he's okay in your book. Yeah. He, yep. <laughs> uh, but his name Sammy. Sammy. Yep. Sammy. Sammy. Okay. I suppose there's a chance it could be a female Sammy. Uh, that is true. So our, I'm I'm sorry to to possibly have misgendered our listener. Anyway. Sammy emails us and says that it is Hall of Fame season and is wondering what we think about Carlos Beltran's chances of going in as a Met and out of the current group of players in the roster, which player, if any, do you think, barring injuries, has the potential to put up Hall of Fame-type numbers by the end of their career? Uh, let's first talk about Beltran, I guess. I think that Beltran, after the World Series, is... I mean, he was always a lock for the Hall of Fame if you were somebody who thought about baseball halfway intelligently. But I think after the World Series and finally getting him a World Series ring, I think for whatever reason people care about that for a Hall of Fame player. And so I think that his chances of going in increased quite a bit because of that. Unfortunately, I also think that him winning the World Series as an Astro and getting to the World Series as an Astro once means that even though he's he played for the Astros less than almost any team he's played for aside from the Giants, I think he might go in as an Astro instead of a Met. Um I hope that's incorrect. I hope that that you know they look at the overall success he had with the Mets and you know consider that with his cap. But I also think that the the chilly reception that he got from Mets fans and from the New York media might also negatively impact his uh, his Hall of Fame cap being a Mets cap. What do you think, Chris? Yeah, and I think you know some of the stuff around the everything with his knees and all that, with the you know with the relationship with the team that could all factor in. Uh, objectively speaking, it should be the Mets. Uh, you know, the, uh, even though his tenure might have felt shorter than uh, than some people expected it to be. Uh, in a weird way, uh, he he still had his uh, his best years really as a Met, uh, and you know he was still playing that elite center field defense and just hitting the crap out of the ball. Yeah, um, and he had done it plenty as a Royal, obviously in that first stint with the Astros uh, in the postseason run. But yeah, I. I you add it all up, you look at it, objectively speaking, the majority of it came as a Met when you talk about his success, so you should go in with that. But all of those other factors are things that exist, and, and you know, um, the whole, like, cap selection thing in the Hall of Fame is a very weird process. Uh, it really is. Who decides and whether or not a player has input, we, you know, we never really know um, – you know what to make of it but uh but yeah so i my guess if i had a bet i would say blank just because he you know had 
success uh, on a significant level in multiple different places. Um, and, you know, the, the Cardinal years and the Yankee years helped build the Hall of Fame resume that much more. Uh, mm-hmm. But, yeah, I mean, selfishly, uh, something Carlos Beltran himself was accused of being at times. <laughs> uh, selfishly, I would I would love to see him go in as a Met, uh, if only to force the Wilpons, assuming they still own the team in five years, uh, to put him into retire his number, right, and to put him into the Mets Hall of Fame to, and do the, all that, um, you know, because it, it's a guy who is underappreciated. I remember talking to Yankee fans when he was still a Met uh, and saying that he'd already established himself, and that, you know, it was late in his contract that he had signed with the Mets. Um, but he had already established himself as one of the best position players in Mets history and was on track to make the Hall of Fame and having them look at me like I was an insane person. But both of those things were obvious, you know? Yes. All you had to do yes. was watch him play. And it's funny. You had to use stats to convince people, I think. Uh, but a lot of the people who didn't buy that he was a Hall of Famer would very much be into the, like, oh, use your eyes and – if right. you used your eyes, I think you might come away thinking Beltran was even better than his stats uh, would, would tell you. And It's funny. I agree with you, except that he was one of these players that was a victim of his own grace on, on, the, on the field, where he never looked like he was hustling to the degree that he was because he was just such a graceful runner, both in the outfield and on the base pads. Right. And I feel like, you know, he he would make a double look easy, whereas for anybody else, they'd have been struggling. But he was so good on the base pads and just so graceful on his feet that that's just not a uh, – that's not a thing that people who use the eye test care about because they want to see – they, they want to see, uh, you know, um, David Eckstein out there. Right. Who, who appears like every single, you know – run he's making is going is gonna kill him right he's gonna keel over on the way to second base <laughs> and that just isn't that was never the case with beltron and it's there's really something to be said for pacing yourself uh right absolutely yeah you know and, and so often the the season gets talked about as a marathon and uh you know and not a sprint yet when a guy treats an individual game that way uh people get on him but but you know robinson cano is another good example of it a guy who you know played in new york and got crap for not hustling and there's you know there's probably other reasons that come into play for why certain guys get questioned that way but even if you take that out of it and just say here's a player who's you know not looking like he's going at 110 percent uh the you know the cliche uh, literally impossible thing to do, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, that's in, in baseball. That could be an asset. You know, you're 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 not overextending yourself. You're extremely talented, and you know how to like approach everything so that you're still succeeding on a game by game basis, but you're also still, uh, you know, around and capable when you get into the game 100 game 120 game 140 of a season um yeah you know that's a it's a very different thing so yeah i mean for me it, we just so happened to end up with a, a ticket plan back in the last few years of shea which were 
you know, Beltron's best and uh, certainly some of the most successful in franchise history, despite how 0708 ended. Yeah. You know, that to have three seasons in a row where the team was in the playoffs. Um, until the last game of the season. Right, in, in the playoffs and then in the hunt until that late, that has been rare. So watching that from that ticket plan that just happened, you know, it was cheap at the time. And sitting in the upper deck, sort of Gary Cohen's old viewpoint uh, that he likes to talk about, and rightfully so. You, you know, you get to really appreciate a, a center fielder when you sit behind home plate, way up in the top, and just watch him do what he does. And you know, you, you had this comfort that I don't think came across on TV. That like, oh, fly ball goes up, and uh, okay, yep, he's got it. You know, and on TV you don't necessarily get that. Um, especially since I think 06 was still only the home games were in HD. Probably. Um, you know, we're, it, it, there was a sense of calm and comfort that he gave you when he was playing uh, that you you could truly appreciate in person. So, yeah. The, the other prob- quote, problem with... Uh, with uh goddamn Tom Brady um <laughs> with uh with uh Beltran also is that at the same time that he was on the team you had Jose Reyes who did have that hustle the visual sort of confirmation of hustle at the same time and you had David Wright who's this like cybernetically programmed perfect uh player for the press slash an old school fan to appreciate yeah, and so you know when you're looking at Beltran against those two guys, it's just it was hard to ever put him in that number one Met slot for 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 certain ways of judging the team, you know. And then you got Carlos Delgado in there, who was a more pure power hitter. You know, he just he was never he did everything well, but he didn't necessarily stand out in the same way that those other players did. He didn't have the sort of speed and hustle of Reyes, the power of Delgado, the natural leadership of Wright, you know. And so, because of that, you sort of don't appreciate him as much on a day-to-day basis. I think for the average Met fan, if they're watching the game, Beltran isn't likely to do something flashy to win the game. But if you add up all of his component pieces, he was, you know, the most valuable Met by a long shot in a lot of those years. Oh yeah. Yeah, he also had the the, and I, I swear this is the end of my of my conversation about Beltran. <laughs> he also he also had the, the the albatross of that gigantic contract, and people held that against him for reasons I still don't understand. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. I guess I I could talk about Beltran for another hour, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but if we um, shift off of that and you know the the other half of the question, current Mets who. Um, if any, you have you know the chance to put up Hall of Fame type numbers. To me, it's uh, it's it's Syndergaard, um, only because he is that good. He's still very young. Um, you know, Degrom has been excellent, but you know, it, and this is something that frustrates me a little bit with with Johan Santana. Um, you know, not getting any love for the Hall of Fame. You can be great for seven, eight, nine years. Uh, and that's not enough. And Degrom probably started too late to 
yeah. top shot at that. Um, and it's a larger discussion of what the Hall of Fame is and should be and, and everything. Um, you know, I, I, I don't think if you had one great season like Dontrell Willis that you should be in the Hall of Fame. But if you were, you know, that level of among the best, certainly if you were the best, but if you were among the best at what you did for five, six, seven, eight years, I don't think you should be written off as uh, like, nope, not in the Hall of Fame. So that's that's a separate thing. I don't think DeGrom has a chance, though, given the reality of how it is treated. Syndergaard's young enough. Right. And, uh, you know, has been Kershaw-esque in terms of his performance. So I think that's that's my guy. Um, do you uh, – would would you give Conforto that potential nod too? Yeah, and, and I'd even put an outside shot at Cespedes. I yeah. Think if, Cespedes, if Cespedes put up – Five more years at the level he put up the last fully healthy season he had. Right. That could certainly be a uh, Hall of Fame career. Yeah. Yeah, no, it could. Um, again, it, it, it he comes into it late, um, you know, for reasons that are completely beyond his control uh, and took, right. took a lot of personal you know, effort and sacrifice to even begin a career here. Um, and I think that's something that, you know, uh, like Ichiro is a lock for the hall of fame as he should be. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but you have to consider the circumstances of, of how players arrive here and then how long their career is and, and rate them accordingly. Uh, you know, and even Japanese players have to make, a decision to leave, you know, to leave home, uh, wait for contractual obligations to, to be finished. Obviously it's a much safer path to get here. Um, you know, but you have to put it into context, I think, and, and take into account when the guy arrived, why he arrived when he did, uh, and, and then how he performed, since then. So I'd love to live in a world where if Cespedes, you know, did what you said, he could be in the Hall of Fame. I just doubt that, you know, the, the overall counting stats will be enough um, for the average Hall of Fame voter. I mean, you're probably right about that. You know, that's why I said it was, it was an outside shot. Well, yeah, true. But, you did. <laughs> but, but I think that you're right. I, I think that, first of all, I hope that the Hall of Fame voter is getting smarter. I think you're seeing some of the uh, some of the chaff separated from the wheat here a little bit with the Hall of Fame. You know, I'm I'm still very bitter that Edgar Martinez did not get in this year, but it looks like he's as close to a lock as you can give somebody going into their last season of eligibility, last year of eligibility rather. Um, you know, I, I think I think voters are getting smarter with you know. With relief pitchers, they're getting smarter with a number of aspects of the game. And so maybe they can look at Cespedes and say, you know, and say the things you just said about, you know, when he came here and why he came here and how he came here and all of that. 
and have that conversation. Now, I don't think that his career thus far has been Hall of Fame worthy. I'm not trying to say that. But I think that, you know, we've seen... When Cespedes is on, there are a few players in baseball that are as impactful in everything they do as Cespedes. You know, that the end of the 2015 season, you know, especially his, his like, I guess... His first week or so was a little bit slow. But if you take, like, you know, the second half of August and the first half of September of 2015 Cespedes, goddamn, man, that's, you know, that's the stuff right there. And if he can harness that with a little bit more consistency over three or four or five seasons, I think he at least deserves to be in the ballot a couple of years. He doesn't deserve the indignity of Santana being a one-and-done player, which is absurd. Right. Um, but going back to Conforto for a second, you know, Conforto is still pretty young, and we know that he had this insanely random shoulder injury that could potentially derail his career forever. Right. If his career is not derailed forever, I think he is the type of player that could accomplish a whole lot in his career. And, you know, but the Hall of Fame is such a such a tough thing to predict. I mean, even like three or four years before he retired – I don't know if I could have told you that Jim Tomey was a first ballot Hall of Famer. Yeah. Because because I feel like the goalposts changed so much with the Hall of Fame. Right. And so much of it is longevity. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. And so, you know, without sounding too far ahead of ourselves, if Ahmed Rosario turns into the type of shortstop that, you know, uh, people thought he could – that's a guy who might have a shot. Um, you know, yeah. going back 10 years, I might've said the same thing about Jose Reyes at the time. Uh, David, oh, Wright, absolutely. Yeah. David Wright certainly was on that track. Uh, you know, and if not for the back and neck injuries that he's sustained, uh, you know, I think he, he still would be. Um, and so much of it is, you know, the unknown of what this player looks like in a decade. And, and, Never mind, like in Rosario's case, he hasn't established anything yet. <laughs> I mean, right. You know, he, he was he was fine. I'm excited about him going into 2018, but this isn't, you know, this isn't a guy who, uh, you know, came up and was a combination of Lindor and Correa, uh, <laughs> right. you know, for a month and a half. And even then it would be ridiculous to make that assumption. But, yeah, I fall back to just so much of it is, the amount of time and then the opportunity to be great. So Conforto, Syndergaard, Rosario um, are those guys who are young enough and and have enough talent. Um, but there's a whole lot of TBD in there. Outside of those three guys you just mentioned, I don't know if there's a single player on the team I would feel comfortable saying that about. Again, if DeGrom had started three years earlier, maybe. Right. Yeah, I'm trying to think. I mean, I, I guess I guess I would have said Harvey, maybe, in 2012. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, there would have been a point in time for sure. I mean, and Harvey, you know, Harvey at a certain point of his young career was uh, not too different from where uh, Syndergaard is now. Right, exactly. So, yeah, sure. You know, at that point, I think he was a little bit older, but, um, you know, performing at that level and young. 
Uh, so he, he's kind of an example of how that can go wrong. Yeah. <laughs> you know who we didn't mention at all that I think uh, is is actually pretty a pretty funny conversation to have is um, our new first baseman. Huh. Oh, yeah. That's a good point. I, I bet Gonzalez stays on the ballot longer than, than Santana did. Yeah. And and that's a shame. It is, but... It's stupid, but, you know. Yeah, but he did have, uh, you know, maybe, maybe not the best numbers for a first baseman, um, but a pretty sustained stretch of, uh, of being really, really, really good. Yeah. Um. Yeah, that that would be hilarious. <laughs> we, we didn't even think to consider him. I mean, he hasn't played a game as a Met yet. In our defense, that is true. And I guess theoretically, may never. If you know, you never know what happens between now and opening day. Yeah, but hey, Adrian Gonzalez should go into the Hall of Fame wearing a Met spring training cap. Absolutely. I remember this was, <laughs> God, 2005, 2004, when Andres Galarraga retired as a Met in spring training. Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> you know, th- this is not too dissimilar to that. Yeah. There was somebody else who did that in the last 10 years. Some other once great player who retired as a sad spring training Met. I can't remember now. Yeah, me either. I, 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 yeah. Trying to blank. Maybe I'm wrong. I I feel like there was one, but you know, I pulled Galarraga. So I'm happy. There you go. (laughs) There's always a possibility that we're wrong. (laughs) That is very true. Um, all right, well, you know, we're watching a one-point Super Bowl right now, so we should probably, uh, you know, get to that. Anything else you want to talk about this week? No, no, just the ARG is set for the 24th um, in Midtown. The post will be up on the site probably by the time you hear this. Uh, certainly uh, soon thereafter. In the next day or so, yeah. Yeah, yeah, soon thereafter, if not. Um, so check it out uh, for the uninitiated. It's the Amazing Avenue Regional Gathering here. Uh, sort of a Simpsons nerdiness to it all and in the, in the uh, roots of it. Uh, something that I think carries on regardless of uh, who exactly is involved. Uh, yes, agreed. So, yeah, check it out. Uh, it'll be February 24th in the late afternoon, evening. Um, we typically start, uh, we'll, we'll have an official time, but, you know, somewhere around 5 or 6 or whatever. Midtown Manhattan, just because it's nice and easy to get to from um, Long Island, New Jersey, Connecticut, and uh, the five boroughs for those of us who are here. And uh, yeah, come on out. It'll it'll be fun. Um, we might even have a little bit of a, a prize to give away with the podcast if I can set aside enough hours to pull it off. Yeah. And uh, last year we recorded a live podcast there. I don't know if we're going to do that again this year. We, we can at least discuss it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. We're going to try. Um, and yeah, we'll take it from there. Yeah, it was uh, it was a lot of fun 
last year, and hopefully it'll be equally amount of fun this year. Yeah. So we shall see. Um, but you know, we uh, we were talking before we started recording about just sort of what a weird off season this has been, and. I think that it's also produced a, a very different podcast than maybe we thought we were going to produce this this off season. But thank you guys for listening and sticking with us. And uh, you know, pitchers and catchers report in like less than three weeks. The first spring training game, I believe, is uh, the first Grapefruit League game might be February like eighteenth. That sounds about right, maybe. Yeah, it's a, it's earlier than usual. I don't know if it's that early, but it's definitely earlier than usual. But yeah, what? it's coming up soon. Is what I'm saying. You know, we're yes, gonna, yeah, no, no, we're, that, we're, <laughs> we're we're gonna have like less bullshitty things to talk about, but slightly less bullshitty. Like we're you know, it's gonna be we're gonna be able to talk about guys being in the best shape of their career, essentially. Yes. And that's always a fun conversation to have, which means absolutely nothing. So, uh, until then, check out AmazingAvenue.com, where we are uh, writing posts about this nothing offseason with the best of our ability. Um, you can also find Amazing Avenue on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Amazing Avenue. You can get this show directly from blogtalkradio.com, or you can get it from Apple Podcasts, from Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, please rate, review, and subscribe to the show. That helps us in many ways, and we appreciate you doing so. And uh, you can email the show, like Sammy did, podcast at amazingavenueaudio.com. And you can follow Chris and I on Twitter. I am at Brian Needs an App. He is at Chris McShane. And uh, any parting words, Chris? Baseball is the best. (laughs) Baseball is the best. So until next time, let's go Mets.